What happens to a person? Wow, I, I, my English is really bad on my outline. What happens to a person when a uh, what happens when a person believes? There we go. I guess my uh, English is not very bad on my outline, but it is coming out of my mouth. <laughs> so let's try that again. What happens when a person believes? Well, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, we have a variety of passages. Tonight we're just going to look at three of them that deal with the New Covenant. Now, I want you to understand, the New Covenant was made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It was not made with the church. Okay? But everything that is true in the New Covenant, we find to be true about believers in the New Testament. So therefore, we're participating in the blessings of the New Covenant due to the fact that we're experiencing the blessings of Abraham. And I'll go ahead and show that to you uh, tonight also. But let's start with uh, the Old, Tem- Old Testament promises of the New Covenant. In Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, it reads like this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Again, this is with the nation of Israel. This is not with Gentiles. This is not with the church. Okay, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Who did he lead out of Egypt? Israel. Okay, And I'm only emphasizing that because there is a branch of the church that believes that Israel has been replaced by the church. This is specifically written to Israel, not the church, because we didn't come out of Egypt. Now, we can say, well, allegorically, we were saved out of the world. That was kind of like Israel coming out of Egypt. Totally agree with the allegory. Totally disagree with, therefore, the church replaces Israel. Okay? It goes on. My covenant, which they broke. Okay, another thing to think about here. Does the church break its covenant with God? What, what covenant do we have with him? We have, we believe that we're involved in a relationship with God based on an unconditional covenant, not a conditional covenant. In this particular case, for them to break it meant that there was conditions. You do this, I'm going to do this. But God was basically saying, you follow the rules that I've set up for you, and I'm going to bless you. If you don't, I'm going to withdraw the rain, and ultimately I'm going to kick you out of the country. So again, this is obviously speaking to Israel. Okay, They broke this covenant, and uh, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So now we have God, Jehovah, being married to Israel. We recognize that the church is the bride of Christ, okay? Um, It goes on to say, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. Okay? So we have a couple of things that are promised here, which we'll get into in a moment. But just in case that wasn't good enough, we can go to Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20. And it says, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart of flesh out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. In Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-five to 27, it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So you see here that 
the Old Testament New Covenant promise included a variety of aspects which we're going to cover here and then compare to what's true about believers in the New Testament. So, letter A, God will put uh, God will put His law in uh, their minds and write it on their hearts. That's found in verse 33. He says it right there. But it's also found elsewhere. In Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Now, I assume David's probably the author here. And notice, he says that God's law is already on his heart. Hmm. This brings up the question as to what were the Old Testament saints like compared to New Testament saints? There are those who believe that they were actually experiencing all of the blessings of the New Covenant, even though they were still under the Old Covenant. I'll have to look in that a little bit more, but he says his law is in his heart. Uh, in Oh, I didn't get the next one. Jeremiah uh, 30, 22, didn't, didn't get that one. Well, 31, 33 says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then, of course, the other two verses are um, right there in Ezekiel that we already looked at. So God is going to put his law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Notice he says, in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, that he will give them one heart. Uh, Jeremiah thirty two thirty nine says, Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. Now, this concept of a one heart seems to indicate that he's going to give the nation of Israel a unity that presently, all you got to do is look at their political system, <laughs> they don't have, <laughs> okay? You, you've got your uh, very orthodox Jews, and then you've got your conservative political branch, your liberal political branch, and these two are constantly at odds with one another. And if you think about the liberal Jews around the world, they could care less about the country of Israel. They just want to make money wherever they are, or, 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 Okay? So uh, they are definitely quite divided at this time, and in the future, God's going to change that. But notice the purpose of giving them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children. You know, whenever we talk about the things that God desires for us to do, instead of, and, and don't let people around you get away with this either, whether they be Christian or unbeliever. Instead of thinking about God as somehow withholding something good from us, God is our creator. He knows how we work. He knows what's harmful to us. He knows what's good for us. And if he does withhold something, there's a purpose for that. Uh, I remember Corey Tenboom uh, with her dad on a train and uh, they were reading scripture, and they came upon a passage that dealt with sexual immorality. And she was a young lady, eight, nine years old. And uh, she asked her dad, what was sexual immorality? And the train had stopped, and they were getting off the train. And uh, dad asked her to carry his case. And so, of course, the little girl, she's trying. But dad, it's too heavy for me. And he said, so is the other subject that we were just talking about. When you're ready, I'll tell you what, what that's all about. See, the reality is, is even though in this day and age, and yes, I'm trying to be careful because of our audience here, in this day and age, there are those who think that they can do these kinds of things with kids, and it doesn't hurt them, and no, it's very, very harmful. And who, let's leave the kids out of it for a minute. That kind of activity outside of the marital relationship is harmful. It's not that God's trying to keep you from something good. He's trying to keep good for you. Okay? So um, so he's giving them one heart one way. They, they may fear him for the good of them 
and their children afterwards. Uh, So he's going to give them one heart. He's going to put a new spirit within them. We saw that in Ezekiel 36, 26. Now, he not only says that he's going to take out their stony heart, but he's going to give them a heart of flesh and put a new spirit in them, okay? So it's more than just the heart is hard due to sin. So he's going to do what's necessary so that the person actually recognizes, ooh, I've been involved in that, and that is offensive. It's hurtful. It's harmful, and I don't want to anymore. It goes on to say, you take the stony heart of flesh out, uh, again, 3626, and give them a heart of flesh. Jeremiah 24, 7 says, then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Interesting. What's the two commands in the New Testament? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind and soul and spirit, etc., and your neighbor as yourself. So God is going to do what's necessary so that they do love him with their whole heart. What is his purpose? We find uh, that they may walk in my statutes. Psalm 105, 45 says that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. See, again, it's not about I want to keep you from something When you walk with him, when you walk according to his ways, you are blessed. You actually, I mean, when you, when you think about the New Testament, uh, don't be drunk with wine. Okay. Bible says all kinds of things about being drunk. Says wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. To be filled with the spirit, there has to be a recognition that I can't do it on my own. There has to be that humble spirit that says, okay, Lord, here I am. Let's do this thing, okay? And whatever it is that God wants you to do, you're wanting to do it. The Spirit of God fills you, and then what happens? Speaking to yourselves in joy, uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's like being happy. And, and I know some Christians want to talk about, well, happiness is based on circumstances. Joy, I understand what they're trying to say. You can have that kind of joy even when the circumstances aren't good. But can I tell you something? It's called happiness. Most of us want to be happy. Walk with God. Walk according to His ways. You'll be happy regardless of the circumstances. Okay? So it goes on. His purpose that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And again, like this morning, if we're keeping his judgments and doing them, we're recognizing what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, and then we're submitting ourselves to him to do those things. And again, this morning I pointed out that We're not being conformed to the image of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're changing the way we think to think the way God thinks so that we might understand what what does he want in this situation. And then we choose to do it because we are free to choose. And, or choose not to do it because we're free to choose. Where when you start throwing those rules in there, now you're not free, you have to. And God's saved us to be free, not free to do anything we want, but free to uh, keep his judgments and do them. Letter B, God will be their God and they will be his people. Again, verse 33, Jeremiah 24, 7, we already looked at. Um, and I, I still, for some reason, kept on skipping over that uh, ver- chapter 30, verse 22 verse. It might be because I forgot to take it out of here and found out it didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, and then, of course, again, uh, 32, uh, 38. Uh, we don't have that one. Yes, we do. Um, oh, no, thirty twenty two says, you shall be my people and I will be your God. Thirty two thirty eight says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. I don't know about you, but when you start studying this kind of stuff, you get, you get the the thought that, Somehow, God wants people that are his. I mean, he created them. And then when they wandered off, 
He pulls them back to himself and redeems them. He pays the ransom for them. He wants them to be his. But not only that, he wants to be theirs. On social media, I'll see someone saying, where do you guys get this idea of a relationship with God? It's not in the Bible. They're probably looking for the word. I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. That's called a relationship, okay? And why? Does God need us in that relationship? No, he really wants to be the blessing in that relationship. We need him. When you go to the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, and we're going to look at a few of those verses a little bit later on, but uh, Jesus talks about sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And he says, do this in them so that they may be one with us. I and you, you and me, you know, it's, it's almost a song that you'd sing on a Rodgers and Hammerstein movie or something like that. But the idea is that we're one with God on the same page with him, doing the things that he wants us to do. Uh, on the way here tonight, I was talking to Poppy. Uh, Poppy is uh, working down at the uh, social kitchen. And I know it's got a new name now. I don't know what it is. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, he'd been working in the kitchen, washing dishes. Uh, what a job, right? Uh, how many of you wash the dishes in the uh, commercial kitchen? Yeah, I have too. Not a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but apparently... Uh, his perspective on the thing is he's doing a good job. He's enjoying himself. Cool. His boss's perspective, a little bit different. <laughs> uh, Poppy uh, needs the constant reminder that he, come on, keep going, keep going, keep going. Now, this is his first job. Okay. He's been raised in this culture, this society. Okay. To- makes total sense. Uh, how are we going to see Poppy change? What is the chief end of man? to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, right? So part of glorifying God is basically doing things the way God would do them. I go, now, if God is in the kitchen washing dishes, how do you think He's doing it? Well, perfectly. Yeah, but what does that look like? Is He talking to everybody in the kitchen? Is He goofing off and flirting with the girls? I don't think so. He is doing the dishes, and He's making sure that they're done correctly. Now, Poppy will say, well, I'm doing the dishes, and if they need to be rewashed, I would rewash them. Good, good, good. How much are you talking to the other people in the kitchen, keeping them from doing their work? Oh. Uh, your boss is paying you to do what? Talk with other people in the kitchen or do the dishes? I'm getting the dishes done. Yeah, but are you getting them done boom, 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 or are you getting them done boom? Boom. I go, they're paying you not to talk, to do the dishes. Now, here's why you need to understand what I'm saying. If you're not a good worker, ultimately you're going to lose your job. And then you're going to lose your next one because you're not going to learn from it. Then you're going to lose your next one. And before you know it, you can't keep a job. And then on top of that, someday you're going to stand before God and give an account for how you did the dishes. Whoa, that's a little weighty, isn't it? No, that's truth. Okay? Whether it's the dishes or mowing the lawn or, 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 it doesn't matter. That's how we glorify God, by doing our job the best we can as we might imagine Him doing it. I just can't imagine God sitting in the kitchen. Yeah, you know, I was talking to my friend the other day about uh, Xbox and, you know, so uh, when, when we think of this, God will be their God. We're going to be his people. We're going to be in that relationship with him in such a way that we're showing forth what he is like. That's the idea there. Letter C, God will forgive their iniquity and their sin. He will remember no more. Again, that's found in verse 34 in Jeremiah 33. Boy, I just didn't do it very good. There it is. Uh, He says, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Uh, That's Jeremiah 33, 8. Let me see here. There we go. 50, 20 says, 
In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found, for I will pardon those whom I pre- uh, preserve. Okay? Ezekiel 36, 25, uh, again says, oops, there we go, right there. No, I put it in the wrong place. There it is. Um, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Now, again, uh, I know I've said it in the past, but I want you to get it. In John chapter 3, Nehemiah, uh, Nicodemus comes and uh, speaks to Jesus. It's dark, it's nighttime, and Jesus says, you must be born again. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Crawl back into my mother's womb? <sighs> No, you got to be born of water and of the Spirit. And a lot of people look at that passage and say, water birth, that's natural birth. Spirit, that's second birth. And I want you to see right here, I will cleanse, uh, he says, you, where is it? There it is. Um, I will sprinkle clean water on you. That's being born of water. They're both spiritual birth. But it's, he's giving you the description of how he does it. He cleanses them from sin, and then he puts his spirit in them. All part of the new covenant. Okay? And then, of course, Micah 7, 18 says, Who is like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Again, the, the concept of delight, He takes pleasure in being merciful. God, the everlasting, ultimate, uh, unchangeable, uh, omnipotent, omniscient, He doesn't need to do any of this. He chooses. He takes joy in pardoning sin. Now, one of the reasons why that's important is if we're going to be like God... Wow, it kind of throws judging out the window, doesn't it? It doesn't mean you can't be wise and discerning, recognizing sin for what it is, and trying to restore one. Ah, that's being merciful. That's the difference. Okay? So, all right, moving right along. It says, God will sprinkle clean water on them. They shall be clean. God will cleanse them from all their filthiness and from their idols. Letter D, God will put His Spirit within them and cause them to walk in His statutes, and they will keep His judgments and do them. Again, verse 26 of Ezekiel 36, And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take your heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Notice, in this passage here, we do not have, um, I put my spirit in you so that you can... I put my spirit in you, and it's going to cause you to walk in my judgments. First um, John 3, 9 says, If anyone is born of God, he does not commit sin. Now, that's in the New King James. The concept there is sinning is not a way of life for the believer. It goes on to say he can't because his seed is in him. In most of your versions, the word his is going to be capitalized because it's talking about God's seed, okay? And uh, the idea is this new creature is in the believer, and therefore sinning as a way of life is not an option for a believer. And going back to this morning, that's why you can't be a gay Christian. You can be a Christian that struggles with the tendencies and the leanings but you can't be a gay Christian, okay? So uh, we see here letter E, irrevocable. What on earth does that mean? Well, he says he's going to make this new covenant with them, and then he says that uh, in Jeremiah 31, 35 to 37, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, kind of hot today, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night. I am kind of looking forward to seeing the stars 
in the sky up in Alaska. Because there's not going to be all of the light of East St. Louis in the sky. And I imagine it's going to be beautiful. Okay? I've been in down in Cuiaba, where you're an hour outside of the city. It's kind of like, wow. Uh, I've been in upper state New York and Canada, uh, in little itty-bitty towns where there's no light, and you get to see the northern lights. And so, uh, But he says... Uh, the ordinances of the moon and the star for a light by night. So what's he saying? I've set it up so you can have the sun that gives you light in the daytime, the moon and the stars that gives you a little bit of reflective light at night, okay? He goes on to say, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me, forever. So what's he saying? When the, stops, uh, when the sun stops shining and the moon doesn't come out at night and there's no stars, then we can talk about not working with Israel again. Now, when's that going to happen? Let me see. It says here, the Lord is the one who gives the sun for a light by day, an ordinance of the moon and the stars by night. In other words, he set it up, this is the way it's going to happen, and it's going to continue to happen. Okay? Whole point being is Israel's not going to stop from being a nation before him. He's going to do these things that he has said. It goes on to say, Thus says the Lord, If the heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. Now, notice the Lord is admitting, Israel, they have done some things. They deserve to be cast off, but I'm not going to do it because it's not about what they've done. It's about what I have said. And I have said I'm going to do this in the future. Okay? So it's irrevocable. It can't be turned around. Uh, As far as measuring the foundations of the earth or counting the stars in heaven above, every now and again you'll hear some scientists talk about they've counted the stars. It's kind of like, no, you haven't. Okay, here's why you haven't. Because most of the stars we look at at night are not stars. They're galaxies. They're guesstimating that galaxies have approximately 100 trillion stars in them. Guesstimating. They don't know. They can't see them all. Okay, so uh, they haven't counted the stars, nor will anybody ever be able to. Uh, It is interesting when they talk about the Big Bang and how the stars are shaped in their going away. Um, it's like fingers shooting off in two different directions like this, but not over here. Not over here, just this way. Uh, even in uh, Answers in Genesis Creation Museum, if you go and see one of their shows that the thing happens on the ceiling, they point all that out. It's kind of like, wow, that's different. But just imagine if they were all the way around, there'd be just that many more. Okay, so it's irrevocable. Psalm 148 and verse 6 says, He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Jeremiah 33, 20, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will, be, uh, there will not be a day and night in their season. Uh, verse 22 says, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister to me. In other words, you're not going to be able to undo this new covenant. It is irrevocable. So that's the Old Testament promises of the new covenant. Now, let's move on to the New Testament fulfillment. <clears throat> Letter A, believers are participating in the new covenant promises. Notice I did not say that we are members of that new covenant. We're participating in the promises, okay? Why? Well, first of all, because of Abraham. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So these are the blessings of Abraham. But more than that, Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now in Galatians, he is not talking to Jewish people. He's talking to Gentiles. 
Okay? Now, the reason why that's important is elsewhere in the book of Romans, he's talking to Jewish people about who real Jews are. And it's those that believe like Abraham believed, not just because they're Jewish in genetics. Okay? But in this particular case, he's talking to Gentiles. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Verse 14 of the same chapter, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then verse 29 of chapter 3, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you see, we are participants. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a participant in the blessings of Abraham. We'll see what those blessings are and see why we're participating in the promises of the new covenant in just a moment. Also, the reason why we are believers uh, are participating in the new covenant promises is because of Christ. Uh, Matthew twenty six twenty eight. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. Hmm. Mark fourteen twenty four, and he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Luke twenty two twenty. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. 1 Corinthians 11.25, in the same manner, after he, uh, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, so I have three of the Gospels and a reference to those Gospel verses in 1 Corinthians. Is there more? 2 Corinthians 3.6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the New covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, all those rules and regulations, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, freedom. Freedom to choose the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Not freedom to do anything you want, but freedom to live the way God wants us to live. How about Hebrews 9.15? And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promises of of the eternal inheritance. Now, um, Hebrews, being written to Hebrews, they could say, well, that's for the Jews. But again, the church, which is Hebrews, was written to Jewish believers in the church as well as Jewish people that were in the church that weren't believers, they were thinking about going back to the temple and everything. He's saying, hey guys, new covenant started, you need to stay here. In the church, churches, assembly of called out ones that are Jewish and Gentile. Okay, so uh, it's because of Christ. So fulfillment of the new covenant promises. Well, remember what the promises were? They're listed right there. A new heart, a new spirit uh, with the law written on it. God is our God. Our sins are cleansed and forgiven. The Holy Spirit indwells us and the security of the believer. Those are the five promises in essence. So let's take a look at them. A new heart or a new spirit with the law written on it. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 6 to 12. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Remember what the purpose of everything that God was going to do in the, old, in the new covenant? That they might walk, not might, but that I would cause them to walk in my ways. Okay? So notice this again. That our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, 
but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. Notice, our identification with Christ is that the old us died. The, the, the heart of stone, if you will, has been removed. We've been raised again to walk in newness of life. Couldn't do that with the heart of stone. We've got a new heart. And that new heart wants to please God. How do I know that? I've got to go to Romans 7 for that. But it's there. Okay? Uh, now, even though the new heart wants to, <laughs> the person with the new heart still has the law of sin. So there's the battle. And that's why you have to get into chapter 8. But that's another lesson altogether. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Clearly, clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on ta- tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Uh, you know, th- this whole concept of we have to learn how to witness. You might need to learn how to express the teachings of the gospel. But you are a witness. Period. If you're born again, the, the Spirit's going to come upon you, you're going to receive power, and you're going to be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Doesn't matter. You're going to be a witness. Now, we can talk about what kind of witness you are if you don't put off the old. Well, you might blaspheme the Word of God in front of other people. Okay. I've done it. You've done it. Uh, what, what has to happen at that point? Get ourselves straight with God. Get filled with the Spirit. Go back to those people and say, I really blew it. And they'll go, ah, everybody does. Yeah, I know everybody does, but my God wouldn't have me live that way. Oh, now we're talking about witnessing again. Exactly. Notice you never even had to talk about the gospel, their sin or anything like that. You just talked about your stuff. Now, if they're interested, they may ask questions. Hallelujah. Now you can talk to him about Jesus. Yeah, but that's where I need help. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay? So you are epistles. Your letters uh, written not uh, with ink, but with the Spirit. He's changed you. He's made you into a new person. Uh, how about uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is not becoming a new creature. He is a new creation. Okay? It goes on to say... Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, Got to remember, when we get saved, we have everything that we need at that time. Now, we've got to grow into some of it, uh, learn it, and uh, find out about it, but we have it all. And sanctification is the process whereby, whereby God's pointing out things that, yeah, that's not part of this. Get, get rid of that. And, hey, this is what we really need. Oh. So we have it all at that point. Uh, the becoming new is as we're learning how to put it into practice. How about Galatians 2, 19 and 20? For though the law die, uh, for, uh, excuse me, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Uh, By the way, if you go back to Romans 6 there, uh, Christ died for sin once that he might live unto God. And the same thing is true with us as we've been raised with him to live unto God, uh, to no longer uh, live unto sin, that kind of thing. But uh, he goes on to say, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, your Bible probably says faith in the Son of God. That's putting a little bit too much you in the equation. It's his faith in us that we learn how to live out. And I don't mean his faith that we can. It's his faith given to us. Now, use it. It's that kind of thing. 
Okay? And then Galatians 6.15, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Ephesians 24, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, that verse right there, that tells you a little bit about this new creation. It's been created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we see where God's going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, he's talking about that new creation. What's it like? It's like God. Now, some people will go far as far as to say it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay. I'm not sure yet. But I can tell you that that new creation is like God. And as you learn how to walk According to that new creation, you will walk like God. You won't be God. You'll look like him more and more and more. Okay? Colossians 2.12, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Again, created to be like God. Hebrews 10, 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. And then 1 John 3, 9, which I already brought up. The born-again person doesn't sin as a way of life. He can't because God's seed remains in, in him because he's been born of God. So uh, you see there the new heart, the new spirit, the law written on it. It's all expressed through our identification with who Christ is and what he has done on our behalf. How about God is our God? Again, that concept of we're in this relationship with him. He's our God, we're his people. Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Oh, pretty neat. Uh, Philippians 4.20, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of our God and Father. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.2, But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. 1 Thessalonians 3.11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Notice, it's not, may God, someone that's out there, who looks down upon me and blesses me from time, from time to time. No, no, no. May our God, we have this relationship with him, just like the new covenant talks about. Uh, number three there, our sins are cleansed and forgiven. Now, this is something that, for the most part, we kind of take for granted until we fall on our face again. And then somehow we think we have to do something to get back in the good graces of God. You kind of miss the point at that moment, okay? Uh, a few verses. And a voice spoke with him against, uh, again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. How did God cleanse us? His son died to pay for sins. His blood was shed. He paid the wage of sin so that we wouldn't have to. And now there is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So when we blow it, and sometimes we blow it pretty good, God is not sitting there in wrath and anger, ready to pound on us. Now, will he chastise us as a loving father? Yes, but what is the purpose of the chastisement? Just like the purpose of the rules of the Old Testament. It's for your good, so that you might learn. That's really not where you want to spend your time and effort. It's not good for you. It causes pain. Okay? A uh, couple more verses here for you. Uh, Acts eleven nine. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What well, God has cleansed, you must not call common. 
1 Corinthians 6, 11. Now, in that particular case, God is saying, look, I'm letting Gentiles into the church. You're a Jew. You think that they're eh, mundane, common, ugh, don't like them. Stop it, okay? We're letting Gentiles into the church. Get on the same page with me. That's basically what he's saying there. 1 Corinthians six eleven, And such were some of you. I really should have gone and uh, copied that whole text for you. Because what were they? Well, to put it in today's day and age, they were liars, they were cheats, they were bankers, they were lawyers, they were politicians, they were homosexuals, they were uh, trans people, they were idolaters, they were disobedient to parents. There was a bunch of those things, okay? And the words that are used there dealing with the homosexuality are talking about homosexuality, not men uh, in relationship with uh, slaves. Trying to say everything... uh, with good taste here, okay? Uh, it's, that's what they were. And he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord uh, Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There's that our God thing again. For uh, Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, 22, Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 1 Peter 3, 21, There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this baptism here is not water baptism, okay? Uh, Notice, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, uh, but the answer of a good conscience. Hey, when I've been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ and I understand the concept that my sins are forgiven, my conscience is clear between me and God. That's what he's saying. Uh, how about 1 John 2.12? I write you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. So we, we see where uh, our sins are cleansed and forgiven. Number four, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now, wait a minute. Uh, is that part of the Old Testament? Yes, he says, I will put my spirit in you. That's on top of giving you a new spirit. Okay. So you have a new heart, new spirit. That's the new creation. And then he says, on top of that, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And that's going to cause you to walk in my ways. So the Holy Spirit indwells us. John 14, 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you. This is before the resurrection and will be in you Acts chapter 2, and thereafter. Acts 5.32, And we are his witnesses uh, to these things. And so also the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What are they obeying? Believe the gospel. Uh, Acts 8.15, Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Acts is a transition book. You want to be careful how you're developing theology from there because God's offer to Israel is still on the table until approximately Acts chapter 18. The church has already started in Acts chapter 2. But there's transition. Things have to happen before we go full-blown church. Now, was it ever going to go back to Israel? Well, obviously not because it didn't. Okay, but God's still putting the offer out there. Hey, guys, if you'd get this thing straight with me, you know, it's all set to get the kingdom going. But no, they didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, He goes on Romans 8, 9 through 11. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. He's not saved. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And I I really want to talk about Romans chapter 8, but that's the next time we get together. Not the next two weeks, but the third week. We're going to talk about the implications of the resurrection on the life of the believer from a practical standpoint. Right now we're talking about, look, this is what's true about us because we've trusted Christ. But now we're going to talk about living it out 
uh, in the next lesson. So the Holy Spirit indwells us. Let me see. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 1 Thessalonians 4.8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.14, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So we have the Holy Spirit living in us now, all part of the blessings of Abraham or the promises of the new, uh, new covenant. And then letter 5, uh, uh, the, uh, the security of the believer. This is equivalent to the irrevocable in the uh, promises of the uh, new covenant. The security of the believer. The security of the believer is based on the finished work of Christ. Let's understand something. Theologically, biblically, the concept of the security of the believer is, it is clear, okay? There is no chance one could lose salvation. Then you throw people into the mix, and you get all kinds of very weird thinking about losing your salvation. Well, I know this guy that was saved for 10 years, and then he walked away from God. They left us to prove that they were not one of us, because if they were of us, they certainly wouldn't have left. 1 John 2, 19. Okay? So if they left and they don't come back, if they come back, it, it means that God chastised them and got through to them and they come back. But if they don't come back, they weren't saved to begin with. Uh, I was watching a video this afternoon. A guy was talking about there's so many people that grow up in the church and they're told they're a Christian all their life. And then they go through this deconstruction. And his whole point was they're not deconstructing anything. They never had it. And they got their nose bent out of joint about something and left. And so they say, they le- no, they didn't. They never had it. It's kind of like, yeah, he's right on. So let's take a look at that. Based on the finished work of Christ, starting with John chapter 6, verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Okay? Eating of the bread is equivalent to believing even in the passage. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household, right? Okay, same thing. In this particular case, by eating the bread, what does the person get? They will live for how long? Forever. Well, yeah, well, people are going to live forever in hell too. No, no, they're going to be dead in hell forever. Their existence is death. Yes, they'll be conscious of it, but they won't be alive. They'll be... a just like they are now, dead in their sins and trespasses. There's a big difference. He goes on to say, um, uh, there he goes, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Uh, John 17, verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. John 19, 30, so when Jesus had received uh, the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10, 12, but this man, after he had offered uh, one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, Hebrews 10. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You see what he just said there? The person that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ has been set apart. They've been sanctified. Okay? They are in God's mind perfect. And it doesn't change just because of their behavior thereafter. But that's why they're being sanctified so that they might become what they are in Christ Jesus. Forever perfected. I'm already perfect. You just don't get to see it yet. (laughs) That's the idea. In God's mind, he sees me already glorified. Because again, he's living in eternity, working in time. 
He hasn't finished the glorification process yet, but it's already done in his mind. I am perfected forever. Okay? Uh, How about uh, uh, Jude uh, 24? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Notice, it is him because of the finished work that all of this comes to be. And then, of course, we have spiritual baptism. We've talked a little bit about it. This is where the Spirit of God places you into the body of Christ. The terminology that's used is kind of like dyeing clothes. You've got your dye mix down here in a bucket. You take the linen, you put it in the dye mix, and when it comes out of the liquid, it is now identified with the dye. If the dye is purple, it's purple. If it's red, it's red. And it's associated with the dye. It will stay that color. That's the concept of baptism, to be placed into, identified, and associated with. John 17, verses 14 to 16. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when we talk about the concept of worldliness, worldliness has nothing to do with, oh, my hair has grown past my ears. Oh, I have a mustache, a beard. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know what John tells the church that he's writing to in 1 John? Stop loving the world. Now, our Bibles say, do not love the world, as though, oh, we're not doing that, but don't get started. No, no, John's given an imperative there. Cut it out. Why? Because what's our natural tendency? To live according to the things that we want, that we see, and, hey, everybody, am I something or what? Because I got these things that I wanted. That, that's the idea. Okay? So with that in mind, we're not of the world. So who cares if I got a new pair of sneakers? Well, they're kind of cool. Who cares? It's just not important. Okay? Uh, it goes on. Uh, I've already read John, uh, I mean Romans 6, 6 to uh, 12, but I skipped a couple of verses there. Uh, Let me see here. Second one. There we go. Third one. Uh, Verses 3, 4, and 5. Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into, into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Why? Because we're identified with him. We're associated with him. We're not of this world, so therefore we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And then Galatians 2.20, remember, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, the old me, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm associated with him, and I live by his grace, his faith. Uh, Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There's another verse back here, Colossians 2.12, Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Uh, And so with that in mind, uh, the security of the believer, it's just not an issue then why do so many people struggle with it? Because your assurance is based on your behavior. The implications of the resurrection on the life of the believer practically deal more with assurance, where here it's doctrinally. Doctrinally, if you've been born again, God is pleased with you because of who Christ is and what he's done. You're born again. You've been baptized into the body of Christ. God sees Christ in you. End of subject. You have everlasting life. Not talking about how you feel. Talking about doctrine. Next time we're together, tomorrow I'm flying out at 7 a.m. to Alaska. Lynn and I are both going. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Actually, two weeks and one day. uh, The 11th. 
at 7 p.m. I wonder if we have to leave at 5 because tomorrow we're leaving at 7 and getting there at 5. So I don't know. But uh, uh, the following Sunday, we'll get into the implications of the resurrection in the practical sense. Uh, We'll take a look at Romans uh, 7 and 8 because that's big time stuff. Okay? Uh, The gospel that Christ died for our sins. Hallelujah. It's all paid for. That he was buried. Why? Because that's what you do with a dead person. He rose again the third day. The most important aspect has implications. We see it doctrinally. Later, we'll see it practically. Questions, thoughts? Okay, long-winded preacher went one minute over, so let's pray. (laughs) Father, again, we thank you for your love, for your care, for the things that you have done. Lord, we recognize that theologically, biblically speaking, oh wow, what you have done in sending your son to die for our sins, to be buried, to rise again, uh, it's pretty awesome when we think about it. And as we consider what the practical implications of the resurrection are, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the things that you have for us so that we might live according to that power that you've put within us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.